0: Everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Locker. This this interview right here is, is actually, I, I can't help but like laugh at the beginning because Adam and I were supposed to do this for, it seems like years. It's probably, it's like maybe a year, I guess, but we've known each other uh, kind of on the entrepreneurial journey for a while. Uh, and we've become quick friends, obviously always supporting each other on social. And he's got a lot of good things cooking. He's one of those people that I always look at when I'm on social or LinkedIn or podcasting. And I'm like, shit, like I need to, I need to do more. Uh, and Adam's one of those guys, and I'm going to let him introduce himself here in a second. But uh, obviously, this this episode right here is brought to you by Rich Cardona Media. We film, edit, and distribute your social media content, specifically LinkedIn, which I'm sure we're going to cover in this episode, because you don't have time to do that shit. You're about to hear from a guy who's like knee deep, in it. I'm the same way. It's like completely overwhelming. And while we are okay doing it, you probably are not. So that's why we exist.
1: But anyway, Adam, man, uh, please introduce yourself. Tell us what's up. Rich, I, I looked at my calendar. I, I think it's been about nine months and it's kind of comical because we've tried to do this a few times and both of us are busy guys, right? And there's nothing, per, it's it, it's become a laughing point Yes, where we've had to reschedule. So I can't believe that we're doing this and I can't believe that we're getting this in in the year 2020. It would almost be super 2020 if we had to cancel again, but I'm glad, I'm glad we're actually doing it. Thanks for having me. My name is Adam Posner. I'm the founder and managing director of NHP Talent Group. We are a boutique talent access consultancy located here in New York. Work with brands, agencies, startups, anywhere from, uh, you know, we like the small guys. That's where we we operate best, you know, 25 to 150 people firms. Uh, We work closely with them for their talent needs. I am also the host of the number one career podcast in Slovenia. The podcast, which I am very proud of, I've been doing that since February 2019, where I bring together leaders from the world of business, marketing, and whatever Rich does uh, onto my show. He is podcast alumni um, to really showcase just amazing humans that are doing great work and highlight their career stories to really show how every one of them have had to harness their own inner tenacity to drive their careers forward. And uh, thrilled to be on, Rich. Dude, hold on a second. You said February 2019. I launched a show in February 2019 in this little room. You've interviewed like a thousand people. So I've had on, I've recorded 120 podcast episodes. We are dropping episode 112 this week. And since November, I've done 70 live shows.
0: That's insane. I I asked Adam a few weeks ago, I'm like, dude, you got to interview these guys. And they happen to be clients, but they're like, I mean, they're really, really, really damn good. He's like, dude, I'm booked till like next year. I'm like, what the fuck? Tell me a little bit about the talent uh, group real quick. So what, what exactly does that mean? Uh, and by the way, the, the this is for all small businesses, but we definitely have a little bit of a focus on veteran entrepreneurs like myself, man, just so people kind of get an idea of like what industries exist out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you, first and foremost, for turning me on to a bunch of really awesome veterans and veteran recruiters that I've been connecting with. Over the last couple of years, I've featured some on my live show. Nice. I've been guests on other shows too. And it's just all about sharing the value. And anywhere I could help out the men and women that literally give the ultimate sacrifice to this country, I mean, I feel like it's, it's my responsibility to give back. So thank you for fostering those relationships. Thank so you. NHP Talent Group, as I mentioned before, we're recruiters. I'm a recruiter, True and true. That's exactly what I do. I'm a connector, but we do things a little bit differently. Most people know of recruiting in a contingency fee-based kind of world. You place somebody, they get a fee. That's how it works. We do it a little bit differently where we are a hourly retained consultant. We're not just placing that warm body in a seat, but we're working closely internally within those companies, essentially as a white label extension of their talent team. If they need to scale and they don't want to hire a full-time recruiter, They bring us in. We're basically consultants, man. Like if you think of any of the big five firms, we come in, we really work closely with the hiring managers so they don't have to deal with the nonsense of outside recruiters that just throw shit at a wall and see what sticks. It really is a white glove, white label service. And I found for me, man, it was was where my clients valued me the most. You know, the hardest part in recruiting is not just the, the finding the right person to fit the job, but it's those relationships internally. How are you working with the hiring managers to get their feedback, to really close the optics and close the aperture of your search to find the right candidate? And when you have an outside firm, maybe three or four firms working, you're managing three or four people coming at you. We have one central point of contact. It's much more efficient. It's much more cost effective. And I've been building out this model for the last two years with case studies and clients that really, truly believe in it. And it works. and, And we're growing.
0: For veterans, a lot of them get pinged by recruiters and some of it is, is kind of extremely obvious. some of defense contracting, government contracting, whatever, and then some of them are elsewhere. I remember a couple years ago when I was you know hating my life and I was at Amazon and I remember listening to a bunch of my peers telling me that they got recruited. I'm like, what do you mean you got recruited? Like I't I never got recruited. I'm, I felt like I was a fucking stud. I'm like, how, how did that happen? How did that find me? Yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> so how do, how do you get recruited? Like, do you need to put your name in a hat somewhere out into the world? Do people
1: find you? Like, what the hell do you need to do to get noticed, especially people like us? Yeah, well, it's interesting too. So it, it really is about relevance. And this is a word I keep hammering down. And let's just talk LinkedIn for a second there. If a recruiter is doing a basic search on LinkedIn, depending on the job, you want to make sure that you have those buzzwords in your resume, in your headline. If I am looking for a senior art director, Those things need to be in the headline, right? If I'm looking for account management, which can mean a broad range of things, like I'm looking for account management in advertising, I'm not looking for account management in sales. So it's really about being relevant to the search that you're looking for, the types of jobs and making sure that it stands out in your resume and it stands out on LinkedIn. I mean, it really is that simple. People try to overcomplicate the candidate side experience, but ultimately it comes down to being relevant for the jobs that you want being relevant for the jobs that you're applying for and being laser-focused in that job search, right? I always use the analogy, right? Like, I would love to be an astronaut, but I'm not applying for astronaut jobs. I have no astronaut experience. So if, if I'm applying to be an astronaut, I'm not getting calls back. Why the hell should I be, you know, disappointed in that? You have to be realistic in your job search. And especially now, right? There are, listen, there's a lot of categories and industries that have kept hiring. Their foot has been on the gas. A lot of the stuff that I do, performance marketing and media, paid search, paid social, e-commerce, product, UI, and UX. These jobs have been consistent throughout the pandemic. Other jobs, let's take hospitality, sports, you know, travel, tourism. Those things are down right now, man.
0: I'm so glad you said that. So what if I've been in school for the last three freaking years or three and a half years, I'm coming up on graduation. I've been been studying retail management or hospitality. What would you say to me?
1: Shit. No, I mean, you really have to think about the transferable skills. Like what other pieces did I learn there? I know my passion is in retail. My passion might be in travel and hospitality, but right now that's not an option, right? So you have to be pragmatic. You have to be realistic about what am I gonna do to, to, it could be a short term. Hey, listen, you know what? This is temporary. I have faith that the travel and tourism sector is gonna come back in the next 18 to 24 months, but what could I do right now to gain experience, relevant experience that's going to be transferable once that market opens back up where I could pivot back into it? Right, So you have to really dig down and think, okay, what else could I do? What else is out there? And what else would at least make me happy for the time being? Listen, it may not be your dream job. may not be your dream industry, but we all got to put food on the table. So you have to be realistic, man. You can't just sit around.
0: Let me ask you, uh, I'm going to give you a couple. I've never done this before. I'm going to give you a couple sample LinkedIn headlines, and you're going to tell me if it works or not. Rich Cardona, transitioning Marine Corps officer.
1: Well, it's telling me who you are. It's not telling me what you do.
0: Yeah, big fat no from me, for sure. Uh, Okay, MBA candidate 2020.
1: Okay, he's got a good pedigree. He's he's studying, he's going to graduate. Does that say what I like? Doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't tell you anything. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, like... No, it's just an MBA. MBAs are a dime a dozen these days, right? I mean, I could have went for my MBA, decided not to. I looked at the ROI on it. (sighs) I wasn't going into consulting.
0: Dude, I know. I just did a podcast uh, the other day on on that. It's called "Don't Pay for Your Network" because a lot of MBAs say you're paying for the network, not the education. Oh man, I went high into the right on that. But okay, and then lastly, let me give you this. Yeah, and I'll tell you my MBA story. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, perfect. So, and the other one is I am an aviator, which I was, and I want to go into operations management. How should I coach up my headline when it's where I want to be, but it's not what I have done? How would you suggest I kind of present myself, especially on a platform like that, to
1: to the point where I could potentially get recruited? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, man. I mean, I would put all those in a headline and I would be very transparent. You know, I would say, I would say experienced aviator looking to transition into operations. Oh,
0: I'm so glad you said that.
1: Something like that, right? Because the keywords are there. The keywords are there and you're being transparent and you're being real. Like you're not, a lot of people use the LinkedIn headlines and they're like, they used to put such bullshit in there, right? And, you, and it's clear as day. Like X, and I also don't like when people write like X, X Amazon, X this, X that. Like who gives a shit? How about right now? What are you?
0: Yeah. This is why Adam and I get along because I completely agree with him. There's, there's no reason you shouldn't just say exactly what it is. If you're not doing that, you should put exactly what you want to do and where you're coming from and let people uh, do that together. Actually, last question before your MBA story. Sure. Should, should people reach out to recruiters? Like if I see Adam, a yes. recruiter on there, like do I reach out? And if so, what the hell do I say?
1: You want to connect and tell me what you're up to. And I'll be very clear with people. I, there's been times, like I had one last week, I, I was doing an, an SEO search and this guy from Utah reaches out, he's in my network, we've connected a while back, he said, hey, Adam, just checking in, seeing what's going on. I'm like, hey, dude, great timing. And we got him in, we got him the interview. He went, he went a couple of rounds. Unfortunately, we, we passed on him. But that's the power of LinkedIn, staying top of mind with recruits. I can't manage 15,000 connections top of mind on my LinkedIn. So you got to be proactive and get, on, get in my face. And I'm not going to be a dick about it. If you're doing it the right way and you're approaching me the right way and you're not being very needy or demanding, I've had that too. But you also have to be empathetic too because you have to put yourself in a place of an out-of-work job seeker who's desperate and needs a job. So you have to take a step back, reply to them in kind with some empathy. And then if they reply back with a similar tone, then you could kind of say, all right, dude, you need to chill a little bit. But most of the time they'll be like, all right, I'm sorry, you know, like rough day. You know, I didn't mean to come off that way. So you have to give people, I always give people that, that second chance to not be an asshole.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. So to anyone else listening, like, here's my two cents on that. If, if you reach out to someone like Adam or another agency or recruiters or anything like that, like, you have to be ultra specific and creative. Okay, be creative with your headline. And then like, marine aviator seeking industry change, like that might catch someone's attention. Maybe, I don't know, like, who knows. But in the body, it can't be like, hey, uh, just checking in, you know, things have been really rough looking to get into e commerce, like, dude, what? Like, You're already putting the work on me. If you can specify exactly what you want to do, why you think you're qualified to do it, and that you could interview about it, then
1: game on. You said something very key in that is don't put the work on the other person. That's another thing I've been changing too. When it, when like I used to say to people, hey, just let me know how I could add value to you. That's putting the, the onus on somebody else. So what I say instead is, hey, listen, I have a great network. In your job search, while you're looking, if you see that I'm connected to somebody, reach out and say, hey, Adam, do you know this person at that agency? And if I know them, I'll tell you yes. And I'll also tell him if I have the relationship where I can make an intro or I'll be very transparent. Listen, connected to 15,000 people on LinkedIn. I don't know everybody personally. So you have to be specific in your ask.
0: Yeah, that's the tough part, man. I, I've definitely said the same thing, but you and I both know, I don't know half my connections. If people enjoy my content, they say they like my content and they want to connect, I connect, but it doesn't mean like we've talked. So let's get into your MBA story really quick. I want to hear, it right <laughs> I want to hear what you had going to say.
1: Just a quick one here. So I left, I spent five years at SiriusXM 2006 to 2011, some of the greatest years of my life, personally professionally, I learned a lot. a big Howard Stern fan, the reason I do my show and my idol in in interviewing is Howard Stern. yeah. Um, and we talked offline like I'm building a Howard Stern studio like homage. but anyway, so I go from Sirius XM to American Express like literally went from like this Cowboy Wild West culture, radio fun entertainment to corporate American Express. I had to put pants on, man. I actually had to wear like khakis and button downs. And it was, I knew on day one, it wasn't for me. So I I go through like two days of like this training, this hardcore training. And now I'm meeting the team and they're introducing me to everybody. And I swear, at this point, I'm maybe 11 years out of college into my career. And I swear to God, I thought it was an anomaly. But the first couple of people I met, I'd introduce myself and they would say, instead of asking where I came from, like what company, they'd say, oh, what B-school did you go to? And when I said to them, i go, I went to B-school called Buffalo. I went to University of Buffalo. They're like, all right, did you get your post-grad there? I go, no, I didn't. And the look on their face, when they knew that I was in the same position or higher than them getting paid as much or more without the B-school degree, dude, that face was priceless. That told me (laughs) everything. So that's my little B-school story. It means jack shit, right? The real experience is what you get on the job training. Can it open doors for you? Yes. Can it get you ahead? I'm sure. But is it worth that ROI in this day and age, unless you're going into a big consulting firm or anything like that, very highly specialized, and you're at the top of that MBA class, in my opinion, it's not worth shit.
0: I I agree, man. So this is a perfect, we're kind of talking about learning and and maybe the avoidance of learning, so to speak, because we're doing it experientially. But you've learned a lot of things over your years. I didn't know about the serious thing, and I had I didn't know about American Express either. We've known each other for a little bit now, but you also had some learning points a little bit after that, and then ultimately you landed in your company, and there's growth there, and, and we could talk about that. But what were some of the things that you learned a little bit along the way? That I, I mean, that you probably couldn't have have foreseen, but were pretty impactful on um the trajectory of your career or, or your professional career.
1: Well, absolutely. And the big thing I've been talking about lately, it's most people who know you and me, who know me, like they know my story. I worked for Vayner. I worked closely with Gary. I got fired from there because I didn't do the job they hired me for. And I had to pivot into the the world of recruiting. And I've shared the Gary V story a million times, but there's a big piece that I've really started to hone in on, which is prior to me getting let go at Vayner, I never took true accountability and responsibility for the mistakes in my career. It was always blaming somebody else. This happened because of that. It was always that person. But it wasn't until that time when I got let go from Vayner that I really took accountability and said, you know what? That shit was on me. I could have fixed it. I could have screwed up. I could have done better. And that was really eye-opening for me because once I was able to take accountability, that opened up the vulnerability door to say, okay, let's really talk about what I'm not good at. Let's talk about how to improve on that. Let's kind of see where that goes. And once you open up vulnerability, dude everything else opens up. That self-awareness eye, that third eye, that it's everything, man. Yeah. What You know what
0: changed? Yeah, what changed that
1: made you be like, that's it, it's on me. Like I've been there, man, but what changed? I think it was this deep, dark hole where I said I can't go back into that world of advertising and marketing. I can't do that. Because I thought about it, I'm like, how the fuck am I going to go into that next interview and tell the story why I'm not working at Boehner? How am I going to walk in there and tell them why, am I going to lie to them? And if I'm truthful to them, why the hell are they going to hire me? And that was a reality check, man. That was a stone cold reality check. And I think sometimes in life, we need to get punched in the face to know what it feels like and know you never want to get punched in the face again and learn how to avoid it. And for me, that was a big change in my fundamental thinking, how I think inwards and project myself out to the universe. and changed everything. changed my approach, my mindset, and my relationships.
0: Why do you think accountability enables vulnerability? I agree, but I want to hear your take on it.
1: Yeah, man. Cause I think it's a mindset shift where you're where you're truly taking where where you're really saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm done making excuses, right? Like that's on me, man. Right. Like that's real ownership. That's real self-growth. That's development inside where you could take responsibility for your shit. So many people pawn it off onto others and circumstances and make excuses. I could make excuses. And I did that for the first couple of weeks, like after Vayner. You know, I blame, you know, I'm not gonna get into that story right now, but there's many things I could blame for that, but ultimately. I had three opportunities to fix it before I got let go. And it didn't happen. So there's no one to blame but myself. And once you could actually say that and acknowledge it and say it in public too. Dude, for the first couple of months after Vayner, I told people I left. I told people that I moved on, blah, blah, blah. But I remember, I think it was, I was on Greg Brenner's podcast. I think it was like the first time I said it publicly. I started to tell you publicly that I got fired and people would relate to it. Because honestly, man, most people, honestly, a lot of people gotten fired. Lots of people. Every I, I'm not gonna say everybody. Everyone in their career, right? You've been through shit, right? You get fired, you get let go. It's okay. You move on. You make mistakes. It Doesn't define me. That was a chapter.
0: So I mean, I'm not asking you to retell the story or anything like that. But what did you notice the first time you told it? You're like, like, okay, here's what actually happened. Because I know what you mean, man. There's like that kind of grace period you give yourself, like, nah, man, like, like I don't need to say anything. No one will ever know, right? <laughs> but but then you no you hit it. Know. And what did that do, what did that do for you mentally? And and
1: did you even think for a second, like, I wonder if this dude's gonna be like, what? I was carrying a lot of weight. Lying takes so much effort. It takes so much effort and energy to put a mask on and lie. And once once you stop the charade, once you stop the facade and you let it down, man, and you just be who you really are, dude, you have so much energy to use in other places. And I found that, like, once I was able to take the facade down, it opened up this other gear. Like I was able to go into a new gear in my life, this entrepreneurship gear, which I've had burning inside. And now this thing fires everything that I do. I mean, it's insane. Like the, the way I think right now, like the the, the focus, like, and I, and I really truly say this, some people are multitaskers, some are not. I'm a very laser focused multitasker. I could do lots of things really well at the same time. And not everybody could do that, right? So that energy of, of stopping the facade enabled me to do what I was meant to do better. And I really believe in the energy shift.
0: Dude. I, I absolutely love that. And I feel like things slow down and speed up at the same time, meaning, you know, you, you you start slowing down like pieces of the negative shit that was just kind of circulating inside, right? And then other things start to speed up because of that. Be- like you're saying, like, there's no dwell time because there's not a lot to dwell on on like what I got to fix about myself. And And I don't mean as a person, like we can, we always are going to be working on our businesses. Like that's a given man. Like there's always a fire to put out no matter what. So that's fine. But you don't have, and you mentioned it, like the energy. I always like to say this, man, like every time I get up, I'm like, let's go. Like, all right, here we go. You know? And and I have the energy to do it because I love it. I want to do it. And there's nothing holding me back. And I don't think, I don't know when the last time we talked about this or if I even told you, but I mean, I quit drinking unintentionally when I was showed up pretty much hungover or half drunk. I still don't even remember till like an interview I was doing in person. And I was like, this oh no woman is going to discover me. Like she's going to expose me and be like, what? And, and I mean, and everything went fine. She actually was like, let's go to lunch and whatever. And my husband will come and blah. And I'm like, I'm getting on the first flight out of here. This is ridiculous. But anyway, I'm like, cool. Like that's gone. And, and just the amount of things that have changed since then, you know, and, and I don't even mean something that drastic. It could just be literally, I'm going to get up from the desk today and take a couple meetings walking around the fucking block. You know what I mean? Managing right. that energy. But yeah, man, I love the accountability piece and the vulnerability piece. I, com- I could not agree more that it kind of frees up some energy. So now that you had that energy freed up, where did it kind of lead you to? And then how'd you know that, like, that's what you wanted to do? Because you got a lot of ideas once you got that kind of time.
1: Yeah, well, we'll take a, a quick step there. I mean, the first step was a really hard one, which was accepting at, I was 35, 36, that I was about to switch careers, that I was about to, after 15 years, go into a new profession. And that was really scary for me. So I needed to go in with a clear head. I needed to really go in and be like, all right, I need to be open-minded. I need to listen. I need to not do one of those things, which I used to do, which is pretend I know everything, like for real, right? That was a big thing of mine. I used to be that guy that thought he knew everything. And once you drop that shit, man, and you could open... Dude, I had this opportunity when I moved into recruiting. This veteran recruiter, his name is Tom Hall. I love him to death. I was so lucky that this guy took me under his wing because this guy's been recruiting for 20 years. One of, he's one of the best in the business and he fell into my lap. He hired me and he spent the time to really teach me how to be a recruiter. There's an art and a science to recruiting, big time. Two different complete areas here. And he taught me both of them. He didn't bother teaching me too much of the biz dev. He taught me the techniques because I had that. And he knew where to focus. He knew that I knew how to do the relationships. I actually knew like I'm a natural sales guy. I've always kind of had that in me. So that wasn't the hard part. Asking for business wasn't the hard part. But I had to learn how to be a recruiter. And the key thing to being a recruiter is understanding a candidate's motivation. Why does Rich want to leave this job? Why does he want to go to this company? What does he know? Is it is it money? Is he not being valued? Is he going through some shit at home? Did he just have a third kid and needs to pay, get a bigger house? Like Understanding someone's motivation in recruiting is everything because you need to have that understanding and leverage in that relationship to pull somebody through and get them across the line to accept an offer.
0: Let me ask about uh, Tom Hall really quick. Like, how did that happen? He said he fell into your lap, which I mean, I'm sure you had to do something in order to effectuate that.
1: Well, yeah, man. So so I had a good relation. I had a good relationship with this guy, Fred Sill, who was a recruiter who tried recruiting me when I was on the marketing side. And when I reached out to him and said, Hey, I'm looking to get into recruiting, he was working at a firm called Onward Search. He got me the interview and Tom was my boss. I mean, that's the way it happens. It's all about relationships, man. And I preach this all day long. I mean, if you look at any of my shit on LinkedIn, it's always about the long game. It's always about building, nurturing, fostering, developing relationships, because that's how things happen. And I think too many people right now are so short-sighted and short focused on on the short game, this transactional, these quick wins, these hacks, these ways to to elevate quickly. But those are all houses of cards. And everything has to be built on a foundation of relationships and everything that you do. And that's why I share my story so much, because I want to show people how it's built. And I have guests on the podcast where like early in my career, you know, 18, 19 years ago, and people are like, How the hell do you still know that person? How did that how'd you book that other guest? It's because I don't burn bridges. Right, I could have burned the bridge. Vainer me, and Claude Silver, our, our mutual friend Claude, is, is 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 a close connection of both of us. I've had her on my show three times already. You think like that's a company that fired me? Who else does that? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. you, have to, you have to really think about like you know you have to think about this shit.
0: Yeah, man. You say you you do talk about the long game, and you and I are super aligned in that regard. And there's a couple other people on LinkedIn that we're like really connected to that that see it the same way. How would you say to someone, whether they're in recruiting, wanting to be recruited or whatever, to really kind of extend the vision beyond like 10 yards in front of them, right? Like, like look at the end zone instead of this first down. And I know it's really hard, but like, what would you suggest in order to make that happen?
1: This is a tough one. I mean, I literally just had this conversation with a candidate earlier today, and I find it incredibly interesting to talk to candidates that are in this three to six year kind of range where they maybe have had a couple of jobs and they're trying to figure out their next move. And they get so laser focused on the compensation side of it. And there's a great example here. Let's just say they're going for a job and they're looking for 75,000 and the job's only offering 70, right? And I say to them, they're like, I really need that 5,000. I'm like, listen, let me do let me do a couple things here. First of all, $5,000 in the scheme of 26 paychecks Divided out after taxes and everything is nothing. I'm telling you right now, (laughs) I'm not here to count your money because every penny counts, right? But take that 5,000. So you're going to give up a great opportunity to advance your career, to learn, to be in a good place for $5,000. right? So I try to have that conversation with folks all the time to see what that opportunity is. Is this a long-term thing where I'm going to take this job and I'm going to be here for the next seven to 10 years, build my career, my legacy, or is this a jumping off point that's going to help me get to the next level where I really want to be faster? And you really, as a recruiter, have to be a consultant to candidates. Yeah. You have to be a career consultant. Yeah. And I think the way I, re- I change my business, where I'm not doing contingency recruiting, means my goal is to not get them in that role as quickly as possible so I can get paid because I'm getting paid by the client on an hourly contract basis. I don't give a shit how long it takes. I really genuinely care about that candidate and finding the right job for them, whether it's with my client or not. So every conversation I'm having, I'm trying to really figure out what that person's goal is. It's short-term long term, and really make sure it's aligned and help them get to that point.
0: Yeah. And, and veterans listening or transition service members, I've hit on this, but he's dead on about the compensation. You are going to be so unbelievably disappointed. I'm telling you right now, you are going to want the same lifestyle. And maybe you got flight pay, and maybe you got BAH, and maybe you got this and all these freaking crazy benefits. And now you're out on your ass and you're feeling like, well, clearly, I got to make 120 or else it's no go. Do not overvalue your experience because you're going into a completely different world. And if that opportunity, especially in an industry that you want to get in, because we all were in a place where we did not get to choose what we were going to do a lot of the time, right? And then we excel at it anyway, because we're great men and women. And we're like, all right, here, let's do this. And now you want to switch industries. If you have a foot in the door, and the company feels right, and the vibe is right, and the culture seems right, take the freaking less pay, because the pay will come. If you are able to plant a seed where you want to be, then get over it. Adam's so dead on about the compensation.
1: You're coming from a place where everything, your medical and all those expenses and like those, those things are such a value. And I can only imagine how hard it is. you go to a company, they're like, shit, we're only paying half, half of your healthcare, right? That's, that's tough. And that, that's a hard pill to swallow. I mean, I know that both my parents are New York city board of ed teachers. They had the best benefits in the business. So it was hard for me when I, you know, went off there off the teat, right at at 22, 23 years old. And I went into the real world of like understanding medical and healthcare that I had to, you know, kind of swallow that pill. That's a tough one, but you're spot on with that, right? Like if you have an opportunity that checks those boxes where, hey, I really jive with the hiring manager. I align with the values of this company. They're doing what I want to be doing. This is a job that I like. Oh, but it's a few thousand dollars off. Money isn't everything.
0: No, it's not and I really think it's important to manage expectations on that piece just really really think about what you actually need and and look what what he's talking about that that Canada he's talking about the $5000 like this is coming from someone who's what it's December whatever I'm about to be debt free in January minus one of my uh, a house in Austin we have dude like All I did was like, look at the last three months and be like, holy shit, we spent that much, that much on food eating out? Like, like stupid things. You can make that $5,000 up easy if you just change your habits. But anyway, dude, I want to get into this. And then uh, we'll probably have one more question after this. But when you talk about working on the client side, you know, my default notion would be that that's who you want to take care of. And then on the recruiting side, now you're going to talk to candidates and you're going to try and place them. But how are you on the candidate side? Meaning? How do you look at the landscape of a company and recognize like, this isn't for rich? You know, this is not going to work well for rich or Sarah really belongs with this company. How do you look out for them when they're not actually the client, so to speak?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good one too. So there's something very important that I think everybody needs to understand. So I, I do a mix of in-house and <laughs> we joke call it outhouse recruiting. The client is my client. And I need mean, everyone to remember that too. They're the ones paying my bills. i am beholden to them their best interests are top of mind. I'd love if they align and and, you, and I help you get the right job, but I don't work for you. And it sounds very blunt there, but I want to be black and white about this. I do not work for candidates. I work for the client. My jo- job for the client is to find them the best possible candidates out there. And hopefully you will be that best possible candidate. Now getting to your specific question here, there's vibe, there's soft skills, but it really comes down to understanding the personality of that hiring manager, Rich, Right. What's the type of personality that's going to work best with this hiring manager? And you have to be a real good judge of character and vibe and see like what someone's personality is. Will it jive with the hiring manager? And it doesn't have to be exact fit. In fact, I hate that word, culture fit. Culture fit's one of the oh, yeah, worst yeah, yeah. things out there. Really what it comes down to, and I use the analogy of a quilt, right? The fabrics of a quilt. What makes a quilt strong are the different types, different colors, the different strengths, different types of threads. So finding that right match is really what it's all about. So it's a tricky game, man. And it's a lot of touch. It's a lot of touch. It's a lot of feel. It's like, are they jiving on the call? Because right? some people are great interviewers and then you get in the job and they suck. That's the worst thing. Oh man, yes. I used to be that. I used to be a great interviewer and i go and I'd suck at a job. Right? <laughs> I know who that is because that was me. <laughs> and I think that's another piece why I'm freaking good at what I do because I can see through the bullshit. So you have to ask the right questions and that's when you're on an interview, when you get past the friendly stuff and they're going through their background, you hit them with the behavioral questions. Give me an example of how you did X, Y, and Z on a job. Walk me through that. Did you own this? How would you get past that? I throw curveball questions to candidates all day long. That's how you break through that shit.
0: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the company then. So entrepreneurism, and here you are, uh, you're on your journey. I've watched growth. Uh, It's been great being like, dude, we're like on parallel paths, like doing our thing in our own respective places. Tell me the good and tell me what's just been ugly as hell.
1: Yeah, well, ugly ugly as hell happened with the pandemic. And it was was a scary point because I was on a trajectory of insane growth. 2019 was the best year I've ever had financially. I mean, I hit some serious, serious, like real big boy numbers and I enjoyed it. Like literally I enjoyed it. We paid off debt. My wife and I went on a sick 40th birthday trip to Iceland. You know what I mean? Like we enjoyed life a little bit last year. Yeah, and so like February comes up, I'm booked to go to South by Southwest and like where I do a whole year worth of biz dev in four days. You know, you just meet everybody, you take care of shit. And then literally, like I was, it literally came up in my memories. It was March 6th. That was the day I was literally just looking at it. It came up before, wherever I I have it here. It came up on CNN, South by Southwest officially canceled. And that was the big fuck. That was the moment for me, March 6th. That's when it was when I canceled and knew that this shit was for real. And I had a conversation about a week later with one of my recruiting legends and mentors, a gentleman by the name of Joe Mullings. I think you know Joe who inspires me to do everything. I'll get to that in a minute. And he said to me, Adam, you have a choice right now. You have a big choice to make right now. You're either going to crawl up in a ball and you're going to fucking die or you're going to own this shit. And it's your choice right now what you're going to do in this very moment. I said, there's no choice for me. I can't go in that direction. I said that on day one when I launched my own company that I'm never going to have a backup plan. I'm never going to have a plan B because if I have a plan B, that means I'm putting energy and thought into that and it's an option. And I've never had a plan B and I've never had a safety net. So I decided to do what I know how to do best is be invaluable. That's a concept that I want to get across everyone. How could you provide value to somebody when there's no business to be had? How do you stay top of mind with somebody, with a company? And that's looking out for their blind spot, right? Watching their flank, right? That's making sure that you are seeing their business from another perspective, adding value Doing a, a, an analysis of their of their client candidate onboarding process, all these things that you could do. And I did that with my content. I quadrupled down on the podcast. I made sure that I was Xing it out, you multiplying it, adding value, booking guests that I would want as potential, you know, clients on the show. And that's what I've been doing for the last eight months. And guess what? Those seeds that I planted in April, May, June are now sprouting. And that's what I want to show everybody, right? Like, dude, November was my biggest month since last last November. Dude, same. I mean, I literally had a, I literally had, and I just closed out the month last week. I literally had a good month, a, tw- a 2019 month, and that made me smile because I'm like, all right, I did it right. Heads down, I didn't give up, and now things are opening up. I mean, we just talked about it. I'm investing in myself. I'm building out a studio space, right? Just continuing to bet on yourself, and once you're confident, right, just bet on yourself, man.
0: Yeah, dude, I I love it. Let me ask you this: you've you've been. Dude, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I'm in stride yet with the podcast. I have a lot of good things in the works and everything like that. But you said like you pretty much tripled and quadrupled down on it. There's a lot of people who want to get into this. And you and I obviously know uh, we're always going to give the best advice we can for people to be present on social and top of mind and whatever. But you're doing it across multiple platforms, multiple mechanisms or whatever. What would you say to the person who says there's no ROI in your podcast? Is that podcast paying you? What would you say to them? And... Uh, i go from there.
1: My podcast is my number one primary business driver. I'm going to give you the example right, right now. I'm in recruiting. What I do is not unique. There's lots of people that do exactly what I do in my industry in New York. So how am I going to stand out? Am I going to, am I, how am I going to do my business development? Am I going to send a million cold cold emails and phone calls? No. The fact that I could go to it, if you look at my, and I'm not even trying to like brag or anything, if you look at my, my past 25 shows, my recorded shows and my live shows, go through those, Those are all my target customers. Every one of those people now I have a relationship with. Yeah, I've spent an hour on a podcast with them. I've spent countless emails coordinating the follow-up process. So all it takes, and it sounds so cliche, is one of those to convert into a paid client, and that's the ROI. Luckily for me, it's been a lot more than one. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I don't hide it. I tell you, I'm gonna come out with my blueprint. The podcast course is coming out in 2021. I'm gonna teach it.
0: Oh man, the mastery course unlock blueprint hypergrowth. Yes. But
1: but but I but I've been hesitant to do it because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't the dude who's been a week on LinkedIn coming out with my masterclass. Like this is <laughs> two and, this is this is two and a half years of podcasting, seven years of recruiting, 15, 20 years of business experience that I'm gonna put into a real guide, like real shit, man, real value with real proof. Here's the thing:
0: I've been hesitant to do something like that as well. And this is just me thinking out loud. I don't think I've said this to anyone. I've absolutely big on social proof. And I've been really wanting to make sure that I have it so it's like tangible. And you and I definitely see eye to eye on that. We've dude, how many times have we like messaged each other on LinkedIn? Like, have you seen this? Like, oh my God. Like someone someone just opened a course or whatever. Yeah.
1: I mean, you have to you have to have the social proof
0: because who's gonna buy who's gonna buy from you? Here's the thing though. I believe it's absolutely critical. But at the same time, when you're ready, you know, right? Like I and you, we do not have 100,000 followers, but we know the ins and outs of that platform. And we know how to connect with people. We know how to do it right. And that's okay. Like once you know, you know, dude, like you can't teach me anything. I don't know about that. And I'm sure it's the same for you, how much your like interpersonal skills have just like erupted, you know, through the podcast, through your content creation and all of that. So when you're ready, you're ready. Well, I'm saying this because, You might never actually make the next step if all you're doing is waiting for social proof. If you have a little bit, work with it, and you will always come across as the authority if you are, and this is how I know, man. You and I can go on anyone's live right now and answer any question like that. Like that, it's gonna be easy. I don't even need to think about it. And I'm just like, boom, and that's when I know. Look, we're really big about giving the knowledge away, and I know
1: you're the same way. And I I really truly believe in the abundancy model. Like, there's a couple of things. I don't want this to come out and sound like a dick, but you're not going to be able to do what I I do without knowing how to do it, right? Like, I have no problem teaching you. You're not taking anything away from me. I already have my shit together. I already have my plan built out. And I'll show you how to do it because you could apply this to any industry. I mean, the the podcast biz dev platform that I figured out on top of the way that I build my podcast from a production standpoint, from a follow-up standpoint, from an outsourcing standpoint, I don't do any of my video For the amount of time it's going to take me to learn Photoshop and Premiere and all that shit versus outsourcing it to someone who could do it better and cheaper and I could use my energy to do what I do best, thats I learned that and I'll teach it, right? Like it's not hard. I've seen a lot of these courses and it's just regurgitation of the same shit, the same LinkedIn engagement shit. And that's why I waited, Rich. I said, now's the time where I see the value in what I could bring and there's a need for it.
0: yeah. Let's end with this, man. Adam said something so important. You heard him just say, like, he's not going to learn Photoshop or the video or anything like that. And this is so important for anyone listening that really understands, you know, uh, uh, how having a presence can change the trajectory of a lot of different things. Knowing that you need to create content doesn't mean that you need to be the one creating the content. hmm. Your experience, your knowledge needs to be put in multiple mediums by multiple people. And you need to stick to what the hell you know best. And Adam, I'm so glad he said that because dude, do you have time to learn something new right now?
1: I'm gonna learn how to create a course though, but that's a different story. That's a different story. I don't have time to I don't have time to learn how to do podcast editing. That's not my game. Yep. Right? I don't know how to do video editing. Hire somebody like Rich or someone else, right? Like, like you there's people who do it better than you at a better value and price where you can maximize your efficiency in your time.
0: I completely agree, man. Dude, so Adam, tell us uh, where we can all find you and any upcoming episodes, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, there's some good ones coming up, man. So first and foremost, you could find the business side at nhptalentgroup.com, all things recruiting there. And then the podcast, it's easy, thepodcast.com, tons of episodes, tons of great stuff. I'm building out a LinkedIn Live tab in the next couple of weeks to showcase all the... I mean, my YouTube page is fine, but I said, you know what? Why not put it on the, on the website too? Just a gallery page. It's easy. So you can connect me there. Connect me on LinkedIn, Adam J. Posner. Follow NHP Talent Group and follow the podcast on there as well. And all social media platforms. Um, I have two shows coming up that I think... Well, one of them I know is my best show. I think it's the best show I've ever done. Sorry, Claude. Like I really, Claude was my best show for a while, but this one I really think is great because of the story and the value. Someone who Claude knows, and you might know too, Matt Higgins. Matt Higgins is he owns half of VaynerMedia, actually, maybe a little bit less than that. He is Gary's primary uh, investor in there. Um, he's also star of Shark Tank season ten and eleven, and he has an incredible, heartfelt story that just you know, I you know, as a podcast host there's certain shows where you are just so locked in Mm -hmm. and you are in your flow state and you're bringing out the best in that guest. And it's just magic. And you know it, you know it when you're in it, you know it when it's over and you just smile. And I go back and I've listened to that show like five or six times already. Matt Higgins coming out right before Christmas. It just feels so good, this show. Like I sent it to my parents, right? Like I sent it to everybody to preview and they're like, dude. Like this guy lost his mom like a day after 9-11. He was on Rudy Giuliani's. He was a press secretary. He helped build the memorial like for not like th- there's story. There's heart. There's empathy. There's the Gary V stuff that's in there. It has everything that you want in a good show. And like, he's just so caring and energetic and giving with this time. Here's another really interesting thing. And I like your approach on this when we close this out. I have found through podcasting, and I reach out to a lot of people who I want on my show. The bigger the guest, the more generous they are. They're generous with their time. They may have a little time problem with scheduling and you got to figure it out with their calendars and stuff, but they're more open and willing to do it. I've had folks reach out to me, reach out to me to be on the show and then we get into a conversation. Then they're asking me how many downloads I have. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Oh, dude. Kid, if that's why you want to be on my show, you're picking the wrong show, man. You want to be on my show for the value.
0: I know, man. Uh, yeah, I've reached out to a couple people and, and that was their question. And dude, I mean, we might as well just take another take another minute on it. Obviously, Gary and some of the bigger guests I've had or, or whatever it may be, dude, it was just, it was very normal. I, I you, you wouldn't really, besides the scheduling piece, like you said, you wouldn't know anything. But I've had people I reach out to who are on the same level, maybe even a couple of rungs under some of these like big time guests I've had who are like, oh, it's this much. I'm like, excuse me?
1: Like, dude, like, I get it, man. Like your time is is valuable, but like, that's crazy to me. Right, like it's like like literally, I had I had the former governor of New York, David Patterson, on my show. We literally recorded an hour and a half. I was scheduled for half an hour with him, and we went an hour and a half. And I had to bring that show down to forty five minutes. Like, this is a govern. This is a former governor who literally is connected to every major politician. The Clintons. He's like boys with Bill and Hillary. Like That's these crazy. are major people, and they're so generous and I giving, know, and man. they want to share and they and they're caring, and they love to tell stories. And then you have some of these people that are up and coming that think they're God's gift to LinkedIn. And you're like, I'm done having those people on my show. Oh, yeah. It's very easy to get 100,000 followers. I, I could have done that overnight, but I choose not to. It doesn't mean you're an authority on something. <laughs> it's just a number, man.
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. Well, we'll end there, but... Adam, dude, thank you so much for being on. And and everybody, please, please check him out. Check out some of those podcast Thanks, episodes man. and and especially the Matt Higgins ones. That should be out by the time I release this. And and look, I'll, I'll tell you from a podcasting perspective, when you listen to your own episode a bunch of times, that's when you know it's like super legit. <laughs>
1: so, because you can't wait for other people to hear it. Right, when you get excited about it. yeah, man. Yeah,
0: man. So dude, thank you so much. And everyone, we'll see you next week.